Reading from Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the labourer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. No one who, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you hears, rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to, hear, desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Lord God, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you that you are the speaking God who communicates to us. Thank you for the wonderful way in which you've spoken through your son, through Jesus. The wonderful way you've called your word to be written. And for the wonderful way you give the gift of your Holy Spirit so we can understand what you are saying. Lord, we pray, give us that understanding this morning. But not only in our minds, but give us a heart and a passion for you and for your will. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I wonder if you've ever had a situation where you felt totally, totally unprepared. Totally like you just didn't have the skills or the requirements necessary 
to be in that situation. Maybe, maybe it was the first day at a new job and you thought, man, I am really going to struggle here. Or maybe it's the first time you played a new sport or the time you're in that team and you got bumped up to another level of competition. And all of a sudden, all of the players have all of these skills and at a speed and you just can't keep up. Uh, maybe it was the first time you held your child in your arms and thought, oh heck, <laughs> uh, what have I gotten myself into? We have lots of phrases to describe that feeling, don't we? Uh, we talk about uh, being thrown into the deep end uh, or being in over our heads or um, sink or swim or a baptism of fire. It's interesting how most of these sayings have to do with death and drowning uh, in that particular situation. Now, I wonder, in fact, I'm, I'm almost certain that that's how these followers of Jesus felt after the first couple of words and verses here out of Luke chapter 10. Jesus says, I'm sending you, go, and they say, you're asking us to do what, Jesus? Because think about it. Jesus is sending here relatively new disciples, followers, not even the 12, but 72 others around outside of the 12, onto a mission that he himself describes as being like sheep going out amongst wolves. Imagine how terrified they were at that prospect. Now, nothing inspires fear in the heart of a sermon listener than a sermon that starts talking about mission and evangelism. Well, that's probably not quite true. Maybe, maybe sermons about money are almost about on par, but we already did that this year, so we can move now to sermons on mission because that is exactly what we are doing this morning. Remember, we're making our way through this middle section of the Gospel of Luke, the story of Jesus. And particularly, we're focusing on passages where Jesus speaks to his disciples, the 12 and the group further around him, his followers, and he teaches them about what it means to be his disciple. Here we're going to have a look at this passage in which he sends 72 messengers or harvest workers out in front of him before him and their report that they bring back in his response to see what he is saying about the mission that he is sending followers on. Now, there is so much in these 24 verses and we could probably spend a number of weeks here mining all of the gold that is in here, and answering all of those questions that you came up with before. Well, we're not going to do that. We're just going to do one Sunday, and we're going to focus on two things. We're going to focus on the sender, who sends us on this mission, and the sent. Who is he sending, and what is he sending us to do? So let's start with the sender then. Who sends disciples on mission? And I know this is really, really obvious. This is one of those Sunday school answers. It, of course, is Jesus. And as you were thinking that, you were 100% correct. But let's 
let's dig a little bit deeper and let's think about the way in which Jesus is shown or pictured in this chapter or in these verses. Remember last week we came, we said in chapter 9, to a really pivotal turning point in the story of Luke when Peter, one of the disciples, identifies who Jesus is. He says, you are the Christ. He says, Jesus, you are the promised rescuer sent to us from God. And we saw last week that he had this, that Jesus in rescuing us has a very, very different and special way of bringing about that rescue. It's going to be done through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's how he's going to be God's promised rescuer. Now, that is the context in which we come to chapter 10. But there is more in here as well. Have a look at verse 9 and look at what it says here. As the disciples go out, they are to say, Jesus tells them to heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, how, why are they saying this, the kingdom of God has come near to you? Because Jesus is on his way to them. Jesus then in his rescue is the one who is bringing the kingdom of God to people. Jump down a little bit further to verse 16. Look at what he says there. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and he who the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Jesus is the one who stands behind the disciples, behind the followers in their mission, and behind him stands the Father. The Father is sending the Son out, who then sends the disciples out on this mission of bringing near the kingdom. Now jump down a little bit further. We're going to draw this all together in a minute to verse uh, 22. And this is kind of like theological underpinning to the whole thing. Verse 22. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, says Jesus. What does he mean by all things? Well, he means authority and power. That's part of it. But in all things, he's talking about God's plan to rescue, to restore the whole of creation back to him. The Father is handed to the Son that plan, that mission, and the authority and the power to do it. Then look at what he says. And no one knows the Son except the Father, or who the, fa or who the Father is except the Son. The Father and the Son hold this very special, intimate relationship where the Father knows the Son and the Son knows the Father and no one else except, except to anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Who is, who is this Jesus here? Who's the one who's sending? He is God's chosen rescuer who brings the new, good, right, just reign of God into this world. And in doing so, he restores people. He rescues them through his death, burial, and resurrection. And he brings them into relationship with the Father. Who's doing the sending? It's not the church. 
It's not your pastor or the elders. We don't send ourselves, but Jesus himself sends us. Jesus, who has been sent by the Father with the greatest restoration, rescue mission that this world has ever seen, that everything has been leading up to. This Jesus, with all authority and power, who through his death, burial, and resurrection, will establish God's right, rule, and reign here on earth. Two implications that we uh, want to have a look at here. But it's my going to be a little bit weird because, in a sense, they might actually do opposite things to us. Firstly, this sending carries authority. This sending carries authority because it's from Jesus himself. Now, in, in our house sometimes, uh, at times, um, we use one child uh, to deliver a message to another child. I'm sure that you, uh, others do this in their houses as well. Uh, we might say things like, this is level one, um, can you go and ask so-and-so to do this? Good luck with, with that one. Uh, so we might ramp it up a little bit, and we might say, uh, can you go and tell so-and-so, dad says to do this? Yeah, that's, that's like DEFCON 2. Uh, that's just a little bit, little bit higher. But, but, if we really want to get stuff done, we say, can you go and tell, actually, no, I'm going to go and tell him myself to do it. That brings the full weight. Where does the weight of this sending comes from? It's not from the church. It's not from me. It's not from mission organizations. It's from the Lord Jesus himself. He sends followers out as missionaries, as harvest workers. He sends followers out to announce his reign and rule in this world. He sends. He tells us to go. Now, you might say to me, hang on, hang on. What are you doing here? You're taking Jesus, sending 72 followers in a very particular time in history, and you're saying, well, that applies to us. That has to be us being sent. That's a really good question to ask. That's a good point to make. What we're going to realize is that this is one of five sendings in the Gospel of Luke and its companion piece in Acts. The first two are in chapter 9, the chapter before this. Jesus firstly sends out the 12 on a very similar mission to this one. Later on in chapter 9, he sends out an unnamed, unknown amount of followers to the Samaritan villages on a very similar mission to this. Then there's this one, that's the three. The next two, they occur after the crucifixion and the resurrection. They occur firstly for the disciples, Luke 24, and Jesus says this, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all of the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And then again at the start of the book of Acts, which is like 
Luke part two, Jesus says this, but you will receive power when you, re- but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, there's a pattern here. If you come, you will go. If you receive, you will give. If you witness, you will bear witness to those around. You see, if we've come to know Jesus and experience his kingdom and to know of his goodness and his greatness and his wonderful, wonderful death, burial, and resurrection, then Jesus sends us. Second implication. This sending is a light burden because it's the mission of Jesus. This is not our mission of our initiative in our strength with our ideas. This is ultimately the mission of Jesus. It's the mission that he has been sent by the Father for. It's the mission that he draws disciples into. He's the one who equips with the power of the Holy Spirit. There in Acts 1. He's the one that blesses, guides. He's the one that draws people to himself. And yet it's tough and it's hard. And we're going to look at some of those realities in in a minute. But we enter into it knowing that it's his mission. He blesses, he strengthens, he brings to people. All right, that's the first part of it that we wanted to have a look at. We want to have a look at the sin. Now we want to have a look more closely then at those whom he sends. And particularly, we want to think about what he sends us to. We know here that in Luke chapter 10, he is sending out 72 others. So this is a group wider than the 12 disciples. This is a wider group of people who follow him, who are also called in other places his disciples. He sends them out. He sends them here on a very particular mission at a particular time in his ministry. He is making his way to Jerusalem. This will be the last trip that he makes there. He is making it as he announces the good news of the kingdom, what God has done and is doing, demonstrating his power. And he is sending out disciples, followers, to prepare the way. To prepare the way for his first coming. Now, ours is a little bit different. We we lived in a time after the cross, after the empty grave, and we don't prepare people for the first coming of Jesus. We are called to prepare them for his second coming. Well, what does he call us to do then? Well, he calls us firstly to a mission and a ministry of peace. Have a look down there at verse 5. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. Jesus is inviting us or calling us to a mission that brings peace. Well-being. The Hebrew word is shalom. 
the experience of the goodness of God's new kingdom here on earth. The experience and the living in under God's reign and rule for us. It's not firstly a mission of argument. It's not firstly a mission of debating. It might involve some of those things. That's not its primary purpose. It is a mission that is called to bring peace. Second part of it, it's a mission to demonstrate and to announce God's kingdom has come here in Jesus. That God's good, right, reign and rule has come in Christ. Look at what he says there in verse 9. Heal the sick in it, in the village, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Notice, notice the dual parts of it here. Heal the sick, demonstrations of the kingdom, and announce the good news that the kingdom is near. Those two things going hand in hand. On one side of it, there's the demonstration that the kingdom of God is here. A little later on, he tells these, these followers that, who talk about casting out demons that he saw Satan fall like lightning. It was physical, uh, it was visible demonstrations that God's new kingdom and what that kingdom of, was like is here. Now, as, as uh, Christians, as missionaries, there are one or two extremes that we can, we can do with this, with this demonstration of the kingdom. On the one hand, uh, some people make it everything. This demonstration of the kingdom, that's all we need to do. We need to be involved with the poor, be involved with the sick, be involved in injustice, be involved in oppression. And if we do that, then God's kingdom has come here on earth. That's one, one extreme. The other extreme is to say, yeah, that's nice, but what we've really got to do is preach the word. Yeah, you can do that if you want, but what really, really matters is preaching, declaring, telling, calling people to repent and believe in Jesus. And neither extreme are right. The two things go together. Demonstrating the kingdom is not everything, but it's also not nothing. And so as we go out on this mission that Jesus sends us on, we get involved in the lives of people and in our community and in the issues of the day demonstrating, showing what God's good reign looks like. And so as we interact with people, we make friends, and we are hospitable, and we serve, we are demonstrating what God's kingdom is like and what it looks like when you belong to it. When we get involved with the needy, whether that be relationally or financially or emotionally, 
and we show love and care and concern, we are demonstrating what God's good kingdom looks like here on earth. When we stand up for issues in the public realm, when we take head on issues of oppression and injustice, when we speak out for those who have no voice, we are demonstrating what God's new kingdom looks like. And hand in hand with that, we speak, we announce, we proclaim the good news that the king has come. That's the other side of it, and the two things go together. We declare, we announce that Jesus has come. He has suffered for sin and been raised again. He is establishing his new reign and rule on this earth. And we call people to enter into it by submitting to the king. Now, a lot of the times, we like to use the excuse, oh, I let my actions do the talking. It's great if our actions do the talking. But if all we're relying on is our actions, I'm thinking that not many people are hearing. It needs to go with spoken, verbal, announcement, telling the story of God's great rescuer, Jesus, and what he has done in him. All right, we have two implications before. We're going to look at three now as we wrap up. Firstly, this is, this is an urgent mission. It's an urgent mission. Do you notice that as we read through these verses, how Jesus moves quite quickly? You know, notice how his instructions on, on entering houses and entering villages, if you get rejected, move on, keep going. Don't take lots of things that are going to tie you down or weigh you down. Move fast, move quickly. There is an urgency about what he is doing. Now, why is that? Well, you notice that as he goes on to finish the section on sending them out, he is talking about a coming day of judgment. It's an urgent mission for us because one day the time runs out. This for Jesus is his last trip through these towns and villages before he goes to the cross. He will not come back there again. There is urgency in the mission. And some decades later, the Roman army would sweep through Israel and many of these towns and villages would be destroyed. Time is limited. Jesus is coming back. This mission has some urgency. I remember as uh, a kid uh, growing up in church, not too dissimilar to this one, uh, asking my father, who was an elder uh, in the church, on and off at different times, uh, why, don't we, why don't we do more mission and evangelism? And the answer that he gave always stuck with me. He said something along the lines of, 
We need to make sure we've got stuff sorted out in the church before we go out. And I remember thinking how crazy that was. You know what I've discovered in becoming an elder and a pastor? It's really, really easy to think that way. It's really easy to excuse lack of ministry, mission, with we're getting stuff sorted in the church first. It shouldn't be the case. It's an urgent mission, and it calls us to respond urgently. Secondly, it's a tough mission. It's really, really tough to do this. Jesus doesn't sweeten the deal. He doesn't play it down here, does he? I'm sending you out like sheep to wolves. Ah, you're going to be in over your head. Sink or swim here. He instructs them very clearly on what to do when they are rejected. Either in a house or in a village. And he even says, if they reject you, they reject me. It's a mission that is going to be tough and hard because it is not going to be received well a lot of the time. And if Jesus was hated, arrested, mocked, beaten, and crucified, then probably his followers should be thinking along the same line. It's tough and it's hard. And we need encouragement. We need each other. We need to be prepared for how tough it is. Third and final, and hopefully this kind of puts things in a good way at the end of it. Um, there's nothing quite so wonderful as being on the front line of this mission. It's tough and it's hard, but at the same time, there is nothing as blessed as seeing God's kingdom come, as seeing someone enter into that kingdom and follow Jesus, seeing a heart and a life transformed by the power of Christ. Now, Jesus warns us that the mission isn't everything. He says at the end of verse 20, don't rejoice that the spirits were subject to everybody. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So be careful, he says, that you don't get so focused on how wonderful the mission is that you forget about the Jesus who sent you and what he's done for you. We all know that that's a danger. Keep your focus on Christ and what he has done, that our names in him are written in the book of life. Because when it's tough and it's hard, that might be the only thing that brings us any sort of joy. Keep remembering that, but don't forget how blessed it is to be on the front line. He finishes with verse 23. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. We have the amazing Incredible privilege 
of seeing firsthand everything that history has been heading towards. Out of all of the great events of history, nothing compares to seeing the kingdom come. To seeing someone that you've prayed for and loved and served understand the gospel and repent and put their trust and their hope in Christ. To seeing someone who struggled with a sin or addiction be set free and to live free of that addiction for the rest of their life. To see relationships which are broken and busted, full of selfishness and hate, restored to love and peace. It's tough, it's hard, but it is so worth it. Let's pray together, shall we?